Hey, we're doing this series that we're calling Overwhelmed, and we started this last week, and through this series, we're looking at the topics of anxiety and depression and stress, the dark night of the soul, and a couple of weeks, we're actually going to have a conversation with a mental health expert to help us navigate these really challenging issues that I think are facing our culture even more today. And I said this last week that I am fully aware of how huge, how enormous these issues really are. And the reality is that we may not be able to resolve, resolve all of your personal struggles in this, these areas just in these few short weeks. But my prayer and my hope is that this will actually open a door for every single one of us to a safe place for us to be known in our struggles instead of just having to deal with them alone and isolated and, and learn how to better care for each other in some of these really difficult issues. Because if the good news of Jesus Christ is anything, it's this invitation to be fully known and to be fully loved by a Savior who offers hope and healing through his broken body on the cross as well as through his broken body right here, which is all of us. And the reality is that there is healing in community. You will find healing when we try not to, when we do this with others, not just try to do it with, by ourselves. And so more than anything, one of my hopes for every single one of us is that you'll connect in some of these different groups. As you heard on the announcements, last week was our group Sunday, which just simply means this, where you launch all of our fall groups, and we have a bunch of them here, out here in the Lake Travis area, but all across the the, um, the area of Austin, we have, uh, we're getting ready to launch our fourth campus this next Sunday, and um, so all the way up from Liberty Hill down, down to Kyle and Buda and over to the east and um, all the way out here. So you can go online to find all the different groups, but these, are, these should be around on your, your different chairs where you're sitting. Um, and then it, those, are, those are all the listings of groups that are out here in this area. And then you should have received one of these when you came in. If you, don't, if you didn't get one of these, I would love to put this in your hand. So just raise your hand if you didn't, didn't get one of these. And the ushers make sure you have one of these. And so if you didn't get one, put your hand up so they can see where you are. Just keep it up. Ushers, you guys will help them um, get one of these here. That would be great. Because in this are a bunch of resources, a bunch of helps, um, and just in all these areas that we're talking about as well, there's all these different groups that are digging into these topics that we're talking about. Um, and then on the top here, there's one that is a kind of a specialty group that's called Lifeline that's going much further in all these areas that we're talking about. That's fantastic. And, and I'd really encourage you to jump into that as well and really kind of invest in your, your spiritual health, your emotional health, your mental health, and all these things that we're talking about. Now, last week, like I mentioned, we, we talked about the issue of anxiety. And I want to encourage you, if you weren't here last week, go online, um, listen to the podcasts. If you go online to onechapel.com, you'll see all the different campuses, and you'll hear the messages from the different campus pastors. And so you can find the one from Lake Travis from last week there. Today, we're going to talk about depression. And this is one of those huge areas because I just think people are dealing with depression. It's, it seems like it's just everywhere. Chances are, whether it's you or your spouse or friends or child, um, there are people in your life that are dealing with different aspects of depression. Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade are just two celebrities that have been in the headlines over the last year who committed suicide as a result of suffering, their own personal suffering through depression. Um, last week, there was two well-known pastors who committed suicide as a result of their struggle with depression. And so this is incredibly heartbreaking. This, this touches so many of, of our lives. And I was talking to somebody after service in the first service, and, you know, this is, there's, there's a heaviness to this. You know, it used to be, we didn't even hardly hear about this in the church world. And, 
It's interesting how over the last year, so many pastors, you're hearing it more and more, pastors themselves are struggling with depression and uh, people who have who've fallen into committing suicide. And so I just believe as a society, as a culture, and as a church that there needs to be this kind of great awakening in regard to the priorities and mental health awareness and the love of God towards those who really are suffering with depression. Now, you need to know right off the bat that I am by no means an expert in any of these areas that we're talking about, but I do want to share some things that I've personally learned and some things from Scripture here that I think will help you, And uh, because I am convinced that if you're dealing with depression, that God wants to bring healing and hope and relief and peace to your life, and there's just a lot of ways that God can and does bring healing to our lives. Let me first start off by giving you a definition for depression. Depression is a mood disorder characterized by anhedonia. If you don't know that word, it's the inability to feel pleasure. So it's characterized by anhedonia, extreme sadness, poor concentration, sleep problems, loss of appetite, and feelings of guilt, helplessness, and hopelessness. That's the clinical definition of depression. But in layman's terms, depression can be defined like this, a pit. A high-energy vortex that keeps pulling you down and down. It's like one of those dreams where we keep falling and falling and there seems no end to it. And if this wasn't enough, slowly the light appears to dim. And before we know it, we're surrounded with this dark, empty space filled with nothing but our own negativity and suffering. And then from that darkness, thoughts appear that it's better to just curl up and die somehow rather than to make the futile efforts to climb back up towards the little rays of light that still sometimes penetrate this dark, soulless pit. When you look at these different definitions of depression, I think the reality is every single one of us deal with different aspects of the impact of depression in our life. But as well, I think those, there's, 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 it goes even beyond that. Because I think for some of you, depression is not something that lasts a day or two, that your depression goes into weeks and months and years and even decades, um, which is why it's been said that, that um, the number one health issue in the world that is facing today is depression. Depression is the number one health issue in our world today. Here's some statistics about this. The Journal on the American Medical Association, they, they cited this, this study that, in, that indicates this exponential increase in depression, and it said this, that people in each generation in the 20th century were three times more likely to experience depression than people in the preceding generation. And so for whatever reason, it just, the, it, our generations is just increasing and increasing, and I think part of it is simply awareness. It's been something that has just been hidden, it's been pushed under the rug, and people have suffered in private over it, it's become more known. But one out of nine people are currently taking some kind of antidepressant medication. One out of five people have been on some kind of antidepressant medication. And over 80% of people who are clinically depressed are not receiving treatment. And that by itself is a travesty. That's the tragic impact of what depression is doing in our culture today. The number of people diagnosed with depression increases by 30% every year, and an estimated 120 million people around the world suffer from clinical depression. The numbers are huge in the impact that it has. And like I said before, chances are either you or someone you know that's close to you is, is wrestling with all of this. But to make matters even worse, 
there's this negative stigma that gets attached to depression. In other words, if I told you that I was physically ill today, if I had the flu or the cold, the reality is I would get your empathy. I would get your sympathy. You'd pray for me um, because we just don't think less of people who have a cold or have, or have the flu. But, when, but if you tell somebody that you have a mental illness, that you have a brain illness, there's this negative stigma that is attached to that, and, and that people tend then to look down on you as a result. But listen, everybody, this has to be removed in Jesus' name. We can't continue on this way as a culture or with, even within the church. And I think especially within the church, this has to become a safe place for every single person who is dealing with depression. Because whether you're dealing with a physical illness or whether you're dealing with a brain illness, a mental illness, sickness is sickness. And your sickness is not your identity. And sickness is not a sin, everybody. We have to get this through, I think, our thick skulls. And, and, and right off the bat, I think we, we, have to, we have to get rid of that old religious pressure that, that I think comes that when, we, when you come to church that you have to look good or you have to pretend that all is, is well here. Because all that's doing is giving this false image that the people who come to church are perfect. And that is just so not true. I mean, look who you're sitting by here. It's just not true, and so I want you to know it's okay to not be okay. I want you to hear that. It's okay to not be okay. Come on, turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor it's okay to not be okay. <laughs> you don't have to pretend that your marriage is okay. You don't have to pretend that your family's okay. You don't have to pretend that your finances are okay. You don't have to pretend like your job is okay, and you do not have to pretend that you are emotionally or mentally or physically not okay because that's pressure, and it's causing people to live isolated and lonely lives trying to deal with depression all by themselves, and that silence is killing people. That silence is actually killing people, and so that's why we have to stop it. We have to stop it. We've got to be able to bring it into the life because way too many people are considering or are choosing to end their lives. One million people worldwide commit suicide every year. In 2017, 47,173 suicides were reported in the U.S., making suicide the 10th leading cause of death for Americans. In 2017, someone died of suicide every 11.1 minutes. It's the number two killer of kids ages 15 through 24, and more people ages 45 through 54 kill themselves than any other age group. And so I feel like I need to kind of make a really important side comment in all of this, because those who say that suicide automatically leads to hell obviously do not understand the implications of mental health in people's lives nor do they really understand the theology behind compassion and God's all-consuming grace. Listen, everybody, heaven is a place for people who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, not just a place for people who didn't commit suicide. And here, we have to do better in understanding these things. We have to do better in educating people on things that are just difficult to wrap our minds around. And mental health is definitely a topic that Christians around the world have to better understand. Because the reality is, mental health issues can lead people to do things that they would otherwise not ever do if they weren't struggling. 
That's what happens. It changes your personality. It changes how you think. It changes how you feel. And if you don't believe me, I mean, I encourage you to get to know somebody who has PTSD. I encourage you to get to know somebody who has Alzheimer's disease. I encourage you to get to know somebody who has OCD. Mental issues can cause you to do things that you would normally not do if you weren't struggling with these issues. As well, I don't think you would dare to say that someone who died of cancer is going to hell just because of their illness. Do you hear me? I don't, I don't think we would go there, right? At least I hope not. Then please don't assume that someone who died of suicide because of severe depression is going to hell either. Both cancer and depression are sicknesses, and both can lead to death. The deciding factor of entering hell or heaven is knowing Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, period, end of statement. <laughs> now, does God approve of suicide? No, absolutely not. Does God view suicide as a bad thing? Yes, absolutely. Is God's grace sufficient even for those who have committed suicide? Yes. Yes. Suicide doesn't lead people to hell. Not knowing Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, that's what leads people to hell. And while suicide is, in fact, a sin, and it will be judged by God, but listen, everybody, so is cheating, so is stealing, so is lying. And all these are sins that Christians commit probably every single day, and they don't necessarily lead you to hell. Not knowing Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, that's what keeps somebody out of heaven, and that's Bible 101. That's theology 101, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believe what? In him. That whosoever believe in him, not do this, not do that, but whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's the gospel 101, everybody. Now, that being said, Suicide is a permanent, irreversible attempt to solve a temporary solution that causes extraordinary, excruciating pain on those who are left behind. That's the impact that suicide has. And so listen, everybody, you do not have to die to end your pain. You do not have to die to end your pain. There is help. There is hope. There is healing for you. And so I want to talk to you here this morning about what God says about all of this, because it's important for you to know that God's not silent on all this stuff. You're not fighting this just by yourself. God has a lot of things to say about this. As a matter of fact, many of the people in the Bible that you read struggled with bouts of depression and all sorts of torment. You can just read over and over and over. Moses is one of them. Look at this in Numbers chapter 11, verse 15. Moses said this to God, if this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I found faith in your eyes and do not let my face, then do not let me face my own ruin. Here was this man of God. We tend to put Moses on this huge pedestal. But here he was. He felt so wretched, so miserable, so low, so depressed, so discouraged. They said, God, if you really love me, just kill me now in my life. I can't go on like this. It wasn't just Moses. Job is another. 
Look at this in Job chapter 7, verse 6. Job said, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they come to an end without hope. Remember, O God, that my life is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. That's the essence of what depression does. You see no way out. There's no hope attached to it. Happiness is completely withered inside of you. And Job is described as a man of God who was blameless and upright. That's who he is described in Scripture. But yet he had experienced so much unimaginable, staggering losses and long-term sicknesses and illness that it completely had left him hopeless without joy in his life. It goes on. You can look at Jonah is another one. Elijah is another one. David is another. So many of the Psalms are just, you just hear the depression and the torment that many of the psalmists describe there in, in the book of Psalms. It might also be kind of a relief to know you. There's an entire book of the Bible, the book of Lamentations, where Jeremiah shares his story of depression. As well, the Apostle Paul also dealt with depression and thoughts of suicide. And so you need to understand it's okay that you're going through this. You are not alone, and you do not have to hide this. As a matter of fact, isolating yourself, trying to deal with this, deal with this on your own, that's the worst thing ever. That's the opposite of what will actually lead you to life. Catherine Green McCrete, in her book, Darkness, is my only companion. In the book, she describes her 10-year tortured journey with extreme depression and and bipolar disorder, but she describes how connecting with and, and gathering with God's people was instrumental and key to her finding health. And she writes this. She says, it's so important to worship in community, to ask your brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for you. Sometimes you literally cannot make it on your own, and you need to borrow from the faith of those around you. Listen, that is just so true, everybody. Sometimes you just can't, you just don't, you can't pray yourself. You need other people to pray for you, which is the reason why we always have our ministry teams here on Sundays um, during our, during, at the end of the service here and during that worship part because a lot of times you can't do it yourself. You can't even pray yourself. You need somebody else. You need to borrow from the faith of those around you. Companionship in the Lord Jesus is, is powerful. And, and if you don't hear me say anything else today, I need you to hear this. You cannot deal with depression on your own. You cannot. It, it, it will kill you. It will destroy your life because depression affects every aspect of your life, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And as a result, you're not seeing life or yourself in correct light. And so when you look at these, these men and women in the Bible who struggled with depression, there were three things that were common in every single one of them that contributed to their depression. Number one, they were physically run down. <laughs> Number two, they were emotionally run down. And number three, they were spiritually run down. Every single one of them here in the Bible who dealt with depression and helplessness and hopelessness, every single one of them had gotten to a place where they are physically run down, emotionally run down, and spiritually run down, which was the reason why they just come to the end. Can't live life. They want their lives then to end, which means... In your and my journey to health, you have to address the physical issues that may be going on in your Bible. Listen to me, everybody. you got to go to a doctor. Please go get blood tests done. Please let somebody look at what's going on with you because your brain may not be working like God created it to work. 
And medical science has come such a long ways in coming alongside what God created and helping rebalance our lives and rebalance the chemicals in our, in our body. And so a lot of times medication will help get that balance, changing your eating habits and your nutrition and your exercise. And so you need somebody to help you recalculate how your life is running. So you got to deal with the physical side but as well. You also have to address the emotional issues that may be going on inside of you because so, so often what happens is that our pasts accumulate. And so much of our past can create this hurt, this underlying hurt and pain that begins to, it's, it's pent up. And so unknowingly it can be festering inside of you. And I get it. I understand it. I, I know how difficult this is. And you may even be feeling shame for what it is that's happened to you and that it's still affecting you in, in your life. And that's why you have to understand that these hurts inside of you are actually killing you. They're affecting you from the inside out. And so you, gotta, you have to address and deal with those emotional, those emotional issues. But then as well, you're also going to have to address the spiritual issues. You have to address the spiritual issues that are happening in your life because this spiritual world is real. And it affects every single one of our lives. And you have an enemy to your soul who wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And he is relentless about that. He wants to steal your life, kill your life, and destroy every aspect of your life. As a matter of fact, Isaiah 61 describes that there's actually a spirit of despair that can come upon us. And so you gotta, you got to deal with that in Jesus' name to break that power, that spiritual power that may be working in your life. I want you to look at this in Psalms chapter 77, because I think this psalm is just such a great help to come along, alongside when you find yourself in that dark pit. And I want to give you kind of three life-giving steps from this Psalms chapter 77 that I think you can follow to help you and regain this emotional equilibrium when life gets you down. Because one of the things I think just so imperative for us to understand, when you're trying to fight depression, when you can't see things straight, when, you're, when your will is broken, when your emotions are broken, when, you're, when your brain is broken, you have to have steps that will navigate you through it. You're not going to feel like it. You're not going to think about it. And so you have to have steps in place to guide you. It's like a path light that will guide you when you can't see rightly, when you can't feel rightly. And and there's there's three really important steps here in Psalm 77. Look at this in verse 1. It says, I yell out to God. I yell with all my might. I yell at the top of my lungs. He listens. I found myself in trouble and went looking for the Lord. My life was an open wound that wouldn't heal. When friends said everything will turn out all right, I didn't believe a word they said. I remember God and shake my head. I bow my head, then wring at my hands. The first life-giving step that I think is so important to take when you find yourself in that dark pit of depression is to send an SOS to God, to cry out before God. Right here in Psalm 77, we get to know a guy by the name of Asaph. And his hopelessness, and he's describing his despair that he's in. And it feels like this dark tunnel without a light at the end of that tunnel. And he describes how he's tried everything. He's, just try, he's tried everything to shake off this, this, this depression that's in him, and it just wasn't working. And so notice what he does. Because in his battle with depression, he doesn't pretend and his battle with depression, he doesn't bury his disillusionment. With his battle with depression, he doesn't fake happiness. 
And there's actually no indication that he turns to food or shopping or alcohol or drugs or gambling or pornography or any other types of vices that we tend to use to cope with difficulties in our life. He doesn't do any of that. Instead, he got honest with God. I mean, really honest. And he yells at God. At the top of his lungs, he begins to yell out of the desperation of his own heart. And I just think this is such an important step to take when you're stuck in depression because that means don't keep it in. You can't keep this in. Keeping it inside of you is killing you. It's festering inside of you. It's, it's taking you into this dark tunnel, and you, there is just no light there. So keeping that in actually is just it's perpetuating that darkness that's in your life. So send, send up an SOS to God. And in Psalm 34, verse 18, it says, The Lord's close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Here's one of those markers. You may not feel him. You may not sense him, but you need to understand he's right there with you right now. He's right there. He's right there with what you're going, even though you can't feel it, he's right, he's right there. And so just pour out your heart to him, whether it's with a yell. I also like what the psalmist says. The psalmist says, you hear my sighs. You know, sometimes that's all it is. You can't even put words to it. It's just... Oh, the darkness is so heavy. It's just a sigh that you have, but let it out. Don't try to keep it inside of you. And look at verse 4 in Psalm 77. It says, I'm awake all night, not a wink of sleep. I can't even say what's bothering me. I go over the days one by one. I ponder the years gone by. I strum my lute all through the night, wondering how to get my life together. Will the Lord walk off and leave us for good? Will he never smile again? Is his love worn threadbare? Has his salvation promise burned out? Has God forgotten his manners? Has he angrily stalked off and left us? Just my luck, I said. The high God goes out of business just the moment I need him. Ever feel like that way? Come on. Once again, I'll go over what the Lord has done. Lay out on the table the ancient wonders. I'll ponder all the things you've accomplished and give a long loving look at your acts. Now look at the second step that he takes, which is such an important step for us to take when you find yourself in that pit of depression, and that is redirect your thoughts. Notice how he's going. He's going through all this depression, despondency, but then he makes this statement, okay, I'm going to go ahead and do this. I'm going to ponder all these things. I'm going to remember these different things. And so also he was feeling, he was feeling stuck in his depression. He was feeling like that guy was a million miles away, that, that was no longer near him, that he wasn't answering his prayer. And so also deliberately refocused his thoughts on the past. He couldn't find God here. So what he did is he looked back in the past. And reminded himself of what God had done in the past, which is, by the way, why it's so important for you to document all the times that God works in your life. Get it in writing so that you can go back to it. You know, when you, it's, it's, that's an interesting thing when you look at the Old Testament, because every time God would do something, they would build an altar, a physical altar. They'd take stones. So every time they would walk down that path, they could remember, oh, remember when God did this? Remember when God intervened in Jacob's life? There was an altar that was built. How we do that, I think, in our, our daily lives, write it down. <laughs> I have stacks of journals where I, I literally I write it down when God does something because there's times I have to go back. I can't find him here. I can't see him here. So i got to remind myself of what he's done in, in my past. And that's what Asaf was doing here is reminding him, himself of what God had done in the past. Now, here's the challenge with this. Because for the healthy brain, this is a matter of choice. 
In other words, I'm choosing to redirect my thoughts. But here's what you have to understand. To the unhealthy brain, choice is actually not an option. That's what's so hard when you're stuck in depression is that you lose your will to choose. It's broken. Your chooser is broken. I want you to listen to a friend of mine. She, um, she, she shared these words with me that I think are just so profound. Um, and she struggles with depression and brain illness. And so she says it this way. She says, think of choosing thoughts like this. You and I are both driving down roads. Your road, the healthy brain, has exit signs lit up and clear visibility of exit ramps. Mine doesn't. Mine either doesn't have the exit ramps at all, or there's construction or overgrowth that's covering it up so I can't see it. And signs? Ha! Maybe one or two strewn here or there, but definitely no lights. So you're telling me how to get somewhere based off your roadmap, not mine. Choose these thoughts equals choose this exit. Only, I don't have or see that exit. Show me at what point in the road that exit shows up for you, and I'll try to find it on my road. But then stay with me and help me build the new road so I can exit. For those of you who you have a healthy brain right now, it's functioning the way God created you. You have to understand this when you're trying to walk beside somebody who's stuck in depression. Stick close. And for those of you who are, are stuck in depression, you're wrestling, wrestling with, you've got to draw people close to you because those exit signs don't exist. You don't know what to do. You've got to have people standing beside you to walk you through this. And that's where we have to rely. You have to rely on others to actually have to think, help you think through this to know what to do. My friend continues to say this. She says, my choice is in relying on others to speak into me. My brain won't, on its own, think, oh, I'm struggling. I should consider what God's done for me. But if someone shows up alongside of me and says, wow, look at the ways God has been there for you, then I can choose to listen. I can choose to hear and receive what others are saying as truth, even though I don't think it. I can will myself to agree with the outside words. When I agree to the outside words, they can become inside words. Huge, huge wisdom in your journey through darkness here. Then look at the last step, verse 13. Oh God, your way is holy. No God is great like you. You're the God who makes things happen. You showed everyone what you can do. You pulled your people out of the worst kind of trouble, rescued the children of Jacob and Joseph. Ocean saw you in action. God saw, God saw you and trembled with fear. Deep ocean was sacred, was scared to death. Clouds belched buckets of rain. Sky exploded with thunder. Your arrows flashing this way and that. From whirlwind came your thundering voice. Lightning exposed the world. Earth reeled and rocketed, rocked. You strode right through the ocean, walked straight through roaring ocean, but nobody saw you come or go. Hidden in the hands of Moses and Aaron, you led your people like a flock of sheep. Here's the third life-giving step. It's kind of a marker for you when you find yourself in that dark pit of depression. That is magnify God. Magnify who God is, whether it's through a song, what we call worship, or just speaking, um, reading scripture to describe who he is. Magnify God to diminish your problems because there's something about worship that recalibrates your soul. In your darkest days, 
Even though you may not be able to worship or you don't feel like you can or you don't want to, your want to is broken, surround yourself with worship because it actually recalibrates your soul. The problem here, though, is that worship is not the natural instinct of depression. <laughs> it's not the natural thing. It's not, not, it's not, not your natural go-to. When, when gloom closes in and all that once drove, your life fades. The tendency is to pull Pull, pull away and kind of put this blanket over you and to run from God and, and everybody else. But I want you to notice what Asaf did because he willed himself to come to worship. He didn't feel like it. It wasn't like he wanted to, but he willed himself. It was a marker in his life. So he made himself remember the goodness and the greatness of God. And as Asaf worshipped, as he surrounded himself with worship, faith began to rise. Something began to stir inside of him, and it moved him from that dark, destructive funk into this God-enthralled declaration of faith. Verse 14, you are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the people. Listen, everybody. If you're dealing with depression, if you're walking through that right now, God wants to bring healing and hope and relief and peace to your life because he still is that God who does miracles. And chances are he's going to use other people in your healing process. We're going to be diving deeper into this this week in our overwhelmed groups. And like I said before, I want to encourage you, jump into one of these groups. Don't try to do it by yourself. Dig deeper into this. Invest in your mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Now, I said this last week, that during this overwhelming series, I want you to hear not just my voice, I want you to hear some other people's voices that are walking through this. And so I asked Craig Bryan to come share his story. So would you could put, your, put your hands together for him? Forgive me for reading. Um, it's the only way I can make, to, make it through this story in three minutes. I have battled depression in different ways for my entire life. When I was younger, healthy and strong, I was able to cope so that most people just thought me overly serious and a bit of a melancholy. Then things changed. In 2006, a scuba diving accident left me with a fear of being out of control. In 2007, I got sick and almost died in China. Unable to eat, I lost 40 pounds in two weeks was misdiagnosed at two hospitals, and my body began to stop functioning properly. On the verge of a physical and mental breakdown, I had to be flown back to the U.S. to find out there was no cure. There was only treatment. I had not even recovered when I had emergency neck surgery so that I would not lose the use of my arms. For over three years, I tried to fight against the mounting depression on my own. I tried to pray harder. I tried to fix my eyes on Jesus. Eventually, my doctor convinced me that medication could help. He said, if the pancreas isn't creating insulin, we don't tell people to pray harder. Sometimes the brain chemistry gets so out of balance that it needs help to get right. I felt like a failure, but I agreed. Almost immediately, it was like a fog lifted. It was only then that I began to realize how out of balance I had been. I was not able to see that I couldn't see. Still, I hated the fact that I had to take medication. After a few years, I started talking with my doctor about weaning off, and eventually I did. For seven, uh, several years, I lived without. But then in 2014, I was laid off from my job. My wife and I took it as an opportunity. We moved to Spicewood to find a simpler way of life. But one by one, our hopes and dreams failed. Eventually, we couldn't make ends meet. Frustration and fear turned into hopelessness. 
and that is really when I spiraled into a deeper depression. Every dark thought passed through my mind at one point or another. Perhaps worst of all, I felt a deep shame that I was a failure as a, fuzz, as a husband, as a father, as a provider for my family, and as a Christian. There was an emotional aspect to this depression. I couldn't find peace, and I didn't even try to find joy. There was a physical aspect. My brain was not producing the right chemicals to process life and stress as it should. And there was a spiritual side to my depression as well. I had no hope that God would act. And I truly believe that there were spiritual forces at work provoking and stoking every negative emotion inside of me. I did feel tormented. It was then that God led us to one chapel. About all I had at that point was resignation and apathy. I sat in the back row. I couldn't sing. I couldn't pray. I couldn't feel God. I couldn't feel at all. But then I found a man who was willing to meet with me and talk with me without judgment or condemnation. He helped me to see that I couldn't and shouldn't fight this battle alone. I found a community that welcomed me in, prayed for me and my family, and helped me to stand when I could no longer stand on my own. Eventually, I accepted that my mind still needed medical help. Within a few weeks of starting medication again, nothing had changed in my circumstances except for my outlook. I was able to think clearly again. A few months later, God helped me walk through some spiritual battles against the spiritual side of my depression. And last October at the Catalyst 3 retreat, I found peace. I still battle depression. Medication does not cure everything. I have emotional disappointments, but I can process them rationally now. I have stress and fears, but when I hear that I need to turn my eyes to Jesus, I find that I actually can. If you struggle with any kind of depression, I hope that you will take away from here that you cannot fight depression alone. You cannot see that you can't see. You need people to pray for you when you can't pray for yourself. You need support when you can't stand anymore. You need community to hope for you when you cannot find hope yourself. We were never meant to walk this journey alone. Come on, dude. You know, our journeys, our journeys are messy. And, uh, you know, we celebrate. We celebrate when, you know, things that happen in our life are miraculous. It's like this, and there's a change. And I forget, I think we forget sometimes that sometimes the miraculous is this journey that we're on. And that there's healing in the process. And the reality is that every one of you can be a part of a miracle in somebody else's life. I'll never forget the day that I saw Craig and his family walk into the church for the very first time. And I said, then this first service is, it was like the pig pen in um, Charlie Brown, you know? You know, all, it was just like he had this dark cloud over him. I mean, the torment in his life was tangible. It was, it was just so evident. But I've, I've watched him and I, I stood beside him through this process. And one of the things that was so important is that he had... He had one of the, he had several of these steps that we just talked about, that he did bring people in this process. And he had something inside of him also about worship. 
And it was interesting, you may recognize him because he's up here at the keyboard a lot of times playing in worship. What you probably didn't know if you've been around here for several years is that he was dark in depression while he was doing that. But he knew this, that even though he could worship for himself, he couldn't sing. That's how dark it was. He knew what he needed to surround himself with worship. And as he did that, it was happening inside of his soul. There was healing that was happening when worship was surrounding him. And so I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Don't give up. Surround yourself with other people. Help walk along other people in their process here. I mentioned this last week that we're kind of just rearranging our services here because more than anything, you need exactly what Craig just talked about, that you need to let this kind of worship soak in you. And so I just asked the worship team to come back at the end of the service just to lead us in this. And just as Craig said, you may not be able to worship for yourself. You may not be able to sing. But would you just stand there? Would you just let that soak inside of you? Our ministry teams are going to be up here in the front. Let somebody pray over you. Let somebody speak over you in what you're going through. So if you would stand up on your feet, if you would, please. And come on, let's just let the presence of God soak deep inside of us.